This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanol, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. All too often, we get caught up with playing the role of a fortune teller. We try desperately to predict our future and often become paralyzed about making the right choice when faced with new opportunities. But as our guest today reveals, we just need the courage to ask for what we want and trust the universe will guide us. As a native New Yorker, Alexa de Pasquale, grew up with hustle running heavy through her veins. So it makes sense that she would eventually work her way up to become the senior vice president of innovation at Grey Group, one of the world's top marketing and advertising organisations. Alexa's trajectory was a far cry from linear, though. Instead, she credits her rise to the top to her sheer willingness to try new things and maintain the faith that the universe will reveal the next step. I'm so excited to talk to Alexa today about the stepping stones that led her to the coveted position she's in today and why we should always ask for the things we want. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these millennial leaders. Okay. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Alexa Debasquale. Alexa, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So, you know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn and when I looked into you and the incredible work you're doing, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you making the time. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Of course. Great. So for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Alexa DePasquale. I'm currently the SVP of innovation at Gray, New York. Um, So I sort of lead our innovation practices in the office. Gray, uh, for those who don't know, is a 100-year-old advertising agency, and we run the marketing and advertising for major brands um, globally. And I hail very heavily from the startup and sort of venture capital ecosystem. I'm a non-agency person working inside of an agency, which is um, delightful and an amazing experience from the learning perspective. But I started as um, a sort of partnerships 
lead in connecting early stage tech startups with established brands. So brands would come to us with um, some kind of marketing objective or a business objective. And we would ultimately go out and find uh, either entrepreneurs or founders that were creating companies, whether it be product, service, technology-based and uh, work on what a pilot program or a strategic partnership would look like. So that was kind of the crux of my career and has uh, been a key element across all the different uh, stops that I've made along the journey and hopefully will continue to be part of it in the years to come. I love that. And it's so cool. I was looking into what you did previously and what you're doing now and it and even what you've said about your journey today, and it's so nice to hear it back now. So look, before we dive more deeper into your work, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Sure. Um, So I grew up on Long Island. Uh, I'm a New Yorker through and through. (laughs) Uh, I lived on the South Shore for the beginning part of my uh, childhood and then moved to the North Shore. I went to uh, a private school called Portledge. um, And then I ultimately went to the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. So I stayed in the sort of tri-state and extended tri-state area. And I think that's been really important and sort of helpful for me because I've developed a network that has been a support system uh, since day one. And luckily, many of of sort of my core group and and my crew of of who's helped me along the way are still located in this area. So it's always easy to grab a quick dinner and sort of bounce ideas off of them. Um, And I think also growing up in New York, you have the hustle sort of running through your veins. So um, I learned that really early on. I demonstrated those qualities really early on, and it's just kind of stuck with me. Um, So it's always nice to have a similar type of network uh, in the area who who have the values that I do, which is the work hard, play hard, uh, you know, kind of go for it uh, mentality. And of course, New York just as a city allows for a lot of that. So I'm very blessed in that regard. Mm. I love that. And it's something I personally love about the city. It's just, there's this energy around it. I feel like everyone's always hustling and doing something. And it just, it just inspires me just being here, you know? So I, I'm not surprised that that was the case. So talk to us a little bit, a little bit more about your early kind of childhood growing up. So did you ever kind of get creative? Did the hustle start early on or did that, that kind of develop as you got older? Yes. No. Um, I'm sure as my father would say, I kind of came out of the womb with the hustle just in my veins. Um, and from the creative standpoint, 100% basically <laughs> since day one. So um, I, funny enough, actually was very involved in performing arts as a child. Uh, I was a singer, dancer, actress, was in band and played instruments and uh, wrote my own music and very much sort of cultivated that creative side, which really was more about the performance side of things. So now that I look back, I have a different take on it because, you know, when you're young, you wanted to just be on stage and you wanted to um, share your craft with the world. And what I realized is that a lot of the fundamentals of being a performing artist, especially 
uh, outside of the social media age. So performing arts now is very, very different because of Instagram and YouTube and ways that you can be discovered and ways that you can get your craft out into the world. Um, so doing kind of that foot traffic very young um, enabled me to really understand who I was, what my story was, what my authentic self was, and how I could lean into that. And also just gave me a level of confidence that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Because when you're consistently auditioning and you're in front of agents and you just have to be who you are, you really need to lean into that. And it allowed me to solidify it super early so that by the time I had gotten to college or had gotten into um, different friend groups and might be swayed one way or another, by peers and, and kind of what's happening in the landscape of, of a, a network, I was still able to kind of stay true to that. So without question, I mean, the the creativity and just showcasing um, and performing in a way was from day one and continued and sort of shifted. So I had taken a gap year actually from the University of Pennsylvania and was pursuing my performing arts career here in New York. And then after about a year of doing that, I decided I still wanted to go back to school and and kind of complete the college experience. When I was in college, I was still dancing as much as I could, but I also had discovered fitness and that kind of became a new platform of my performance and strength and confidence uh, starting in college. And that has continued um, very much. So I'm deeply passionate about health and fitness, but I did a bodybuilding show before. I've done powerlifting meets. So there was a new kind of stage, I guess you could say, that I started to um, cultivate and and perform on. Um, And and that's kind of where we are today. I haven't competed in a while. Who knows if I will? Um, But it's certainly fun and it has created part of my personality for sure. Mm. For sure. I love that. I think it's so interesting. And even when I was looking deeper into you, how that fitness element has really played a role. And I think what's so super important, even just, 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 I guess in life in general is ha- is juggling or, or learning how to juggle two things at the one time. So you've got your career and, and you know, full on marketing, whatever it is, whatever career you may have, and then having that outlet as well. What advice would you give to our peers out there listening who potentially haven't found that outlet, you know, to express themselves in another way? And maybe they're searching for it. Maybe they're just feeling stuck. You know, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, just try things. We are so blessed and and all of us should be so grateful to have as many opportunities as we want to create for ourselves. Um, I have sort of a life mantra, which is uh, if you don't ask, you don't get. So the answer will always be no until you try to get a yes. Um <laughs> And so that really allows, uh, you know, people who haven't found their passions yet. And frankly, I have passions. I don't know that I've found purpose yet. And I think there is a big difference to that. Um, But just trying new things and figuring out what it is that lights you up. So there are certain things that you will fall asleep every night thinking about. um, And it's those things that you can start to realize or what matters. So even for me, sometimes, yes, fitness is a huge part, but reading an amazing book and getting lost in, in sort of, uh, uh, a novel is something that brings me joy. So I know that I need to put more time into the things that bring me joy. And, um, you know, even if it's things like cooking or, you know, a poetry slam, whatever it may be, 
trying won't hurt. And you very quickly can figure out, I, I liked this. I didn't love it. I loved this. And you just do more of it. And I think no matter what, the happier we, or the more joy that we create in our daily life as human beings, the better our work mm. output will be. And the more productive we'll be, the more creative we'll be. So it's a really, really important thing to find as much balance as possible and really lean into what it is that brings you uh, the joy and happiness. Mm. Oh, so well said. I love that. Okay, so let's dive a bit deep. I want to dive a bit deeper into your story. So, you know, you were studying at, at UPenn. You did a Bachelor of Arts in Communications, Italian Studies. Talk to us a little bit about that time there, your college days. You know, what was one of the key things you learned about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I was lucky enough that I went into college with a different mindset because I had taken that gap year. Mm. And um, if anyone has the the opportunity to do so, gap years are a major win in my book because um, it is a really maturing experience so that you can step into college with a different lens uh, than you would have had previously. So uh, I definitely walked in open to, I don't know what my major is going to be. I don't even know how I'm going to figure it out, but I will. Mm. Um, And I was open to meeting tons of friends and participating in different types of activities. And again, exactly to the earlier point of just trying a bunch of things is exactly what my college experience was. And I was lucky enough that Penn is a very liberal uh, arts, you know, foundational school. And so you can try as much as you want to and and you can participate in lots of different things. So I did. Um, But I did fall on communications because... I felt like it was a an open horizon of what was possible after that, and it could give me an opportunity to craft the journey that I wanted to be on. I knew right away that I wasn't interested in finance. I wasn't interested in medicine. I wasn't it interested in law or anything that had a really kind of uh, more templatized version of your college experience. So um, communications was a wonderful kind of stepping stone into a broad horizon of opportunity. And then I did choose Italian studies because I am Italian and I wanted to learn more about the culture. I've always been interested in languages. um, And so it seemed like a nice complement to uh, some of the more rigor of learning about the communications industry. Um, And so that that guess of having a wide horizon was true and has proved to be true, um, where I kind of stepped into a role right after college as a freelancer, actually. And this was at a company um, called Evolution. And I stepped in as a freelance for three months and got hired full time and ended up being there for about three and a half years. Um, and so it was another leap of faith of just, I hope this works out. But luckily in that time and and sort of age of where I was in my career, I could make the mistake um, of maybe not finding something. But luckily, it steered me directly into the passion point of working with startups, being involved in the technology ecosystem, better understanding strategic partnerships between brands and startups. And that really was the launching pad of kind of where I am today, which is amazing. Mm. It's, it's so cool to hear and I, I love that transition there. But something that I'm super interested about is one of your recent posts on, I think it was on the Instagram, I think it was. And, I mean, you talked about, I'm trying to find the exact words. It was something along the lines of looking back, hindsight, looking back at where I started and I just kind of 
had no idea what the word startup was, what tech was, and I just kind of fell into this world. And now, you know, you're obviously that the, the tech, you know, <laughs> the tech woman, um, you know, head of innovation and whatnot. And, and you talk about this idea of things will ultimately just work out if you allow them to flow, if you follow what feels right. Talk to us a little bit about that because I feel like many of our, pe- our peers out there listening We'll be going through that similar motion of, is this the right opportunity? Do I take this mm-hmm. next step? Yeah, absolutely. So I know the post you're talking yeah. about, it was about trusting the universe. Yeah, uh, that's and it's, it. And it's very true. Mm-hmm. So I think it's hard when we are starting to look at different opportunities in front of us. We, we get in our own heads. We are not sure if we're making the right decisions. We're constantly trying to plot out, you know, the next step forward. And it can be overwhelming. Um, it can be scary. It can be confusing, all of those things. But luckily, now that I've kind of stepped into the next decade of my career journey, I have had the ability to look back and say, gosh, what led me to here? And it was interesting interesting to see that every single step that I took, even if I didn't know it at that moment, was actually leading me toward the next step. So for example, as I mentioned, working at Evolution led me into this kind of startup landscape. Well, you know, I met a boss who then went over to work in venture capital and invested in the company that I ultimately ended up running sales for from the ad tech Uh, the ad tech world. Then, you know, it just so happened that my next move was a phone call from my boss when I was his intern almost 10 years ago now saying, hey, I'd like you to come over and run this new innovation unit with me. Are you up for that? So a lot of it um, was steps that I didn't realize I was taking leading me there. So I think there's a little bit of the whole trust the universe and and recognize that things will come. And, and it's never a linear process by all means, but the overarching story that's being crafted, there's, there's a little bit of kind of that invisible hand helping you out. And then also to the importance, again, I'll reiterate it, of asking for whatever it is that you want. If you don't ask, you don't get. So I, if I didn't apply to that internship, I wouldn't have met that boss who ultimately hired me almost 10 years later. If I didn't, you know, take the chance of, of, uh, asking to be hired on as a freelancer, I would never have been at evolution and worked in the startup landscape. So, um, it really is about just having the confidence to ask because the worst thing you can do is, or one can do is stay silent and then expect that something's going to happen. And it's all about actually, you know, uh, mustering up some confidence and, and asking. Mm. For those of us who haven't danced, how do we gain the courage to step up and ask? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned earlier about finding things that light you up and, and how do you do that? And it doesn't have to be dance. Everyone has a different kind of expression and platform and and does things that that um, help them become their authentic self and give them that confidence. So, you know, again, I mentioned if you if you're a chef and all of a sudden in the kitchen, that's where you light up. You know, you you kind of have to train yourself in a way um, to do more of that, and it comes with time as well. The other thing is just starting. 
the worst thing you can do is not start. And it gets easier and easier and easier. I watched this TED Talk, I don't know, a couple of months ago about um, a man who went through 100 days of rejection. So he purposely put himself in the position of doing things that made him uncomfortable. And he would be highly likely to either fail or be rejected. And what he explained is that the first couple of times were brutally awful, but it just got that much easier every single time. And over time, then it becomes second nature and you're no longer afraid to step up and do that. So it does take a little bit of the risk taking um, and just giving it a shot and things will work and things won't work. I also love writing everything down. So that's another thing of the more you can track to say, this felt really good. This didn't feel good. Here's how I could have improved that. You know, that helps you look back and be able to say, okay, these are, these are, this is what's working for me. This is where I can play into my strengths. Um, and that in and of itself can give a boost of confidence of, you know, things that you're good at. And then also finding a great network who can help boost your confidence because they see you as, you know, your strong self and can give you advice and, and kind of work with you. That's absolutely crucial. Mm. I actually could not agree more about that last point there. I think the people you surround yourself with is every is everything, you know? And I think that this idea of, I think some of us have such a closed-minded idea of what a hashtag network or quote-unquote network is. And I think, you know, some of us think, oh, I don't really want to go out there and network and build my network. But at the end of the day, your network could just be your closest friends and family to an extent of outside of that, your colleagues at work or even your mentors. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I feel like obviously through through the show, I've been able to extend my network and meet amazing people like yourself. And I think it's, it doesn't feel like we're networking. It just, you know, it just flows. And so what advice would you give around building your network, around finding the right support system to go out there and be your best self and do what you want to do? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, start small. You don't mm. have to boil the ocean and go out and get tons of, you know, contacts and business cards and start building a quote unquote network. I agree. I actually don't really like that terminology. I think there's a bit of a negative connotation, but more importantly, it um, it sort of creates anxiety for people when exactly to your point, this is a level of networking and we're hanging out in a room kind of mm. thing. Um, but yeah, so start small. And then also I look at people who are generations beyond me to say, how did you do it? What do you suggest? And consistently just become um, like a sponge for advice pretty much. Um, and, you know, another thing too is read more, watch more TED Talks, listen to more podcasts, get a, a general understanding of the types of people and what they stand for that matter. Um, and then reach out to those people and, you know, create a relationship as best you can. But, you know, to the same exact earlier point of just doing it and just kind of getting over those initial fears of walking up to someone or reaching out to someone cold on LinkedIn, whatever it may be, the more one does that, the easier it becomes. And then it just becomes a ripple effect from there where you can start to build that, that network accordingly. Mm. I love that. Okay, so I want to take a bit of a shift into some of the challenges and the struggles you've had throughout this journey. So talk to us a little bit about those early challenges you faced being thrown into the startup world, startup land evolution. You know, how did you navigate that? And what were some of those early struggles? Yeah, um, 
without question, I think everyone, particularly in their first job, um, I shouldn't say everyone, but I would assume it's probably a large percentage of us that feel like we aren't good enough. We don't have the skill sets. We don't know how to answer things. And we have this this interesting tension where we want to have all the answers, but we also don't want to have the answers because that's how we learn. Um, And I think becoming self-aware in that perspective allowed me to realize that it was okay to ask for help. It was okay to ask for advice. It was okay to work alongside someone to learn from someone else in order to get better with whatever skills it may be. Um, Particularly because in my case, I genuinely had no idea what I was doing because (laughs) at that point in time, I didn't know, as you mentioned, what a startup was. I barely was involved in technology. It's not like I was an engineer or technologist by trade, so I could really understand that landscape. And also it was very early on in the the general landscape of what technology startups were going to do for brands and more importantly, just for our overall ecosystem. Um, and so it was difficult to navigate that. Um, and it was very, very scary. But again, trusting the universe a little bit of figuring out kind of what are some tangible steps that I can take and the people that I can surround myself with to learn, you get better and better at it. Um, but yeah, it's that, that first step is always the most difficult out of them. And you know, it's, it's scary when you literally have no idea what you're doing, (laughs) but, and you know, what's funny too, I kind of still don't know what I'm doing. Does anyone ever? Yeah, exactly. Like, does anyone actually know, you know, what they're doing? Not really. And that's okay. And that's kind of like the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. And I happen to thrive in, um, sort of a variety environment. And so I like not having every single day look the exact same. I like learning new things every single day. I like having a little bit of the challenge of I'm not quite sure how to do this. Um, I think a big thing though, to the point of like, if you don't ask, you don't get, I learned very quickly that it was okay not to have all the answers. And I want to reiterate that because I think that's something that people struggle with where internally you're, you you sit there and say like, gosh, I should know this, or I should know how to figure this out or whatever it may be. It's okay if you don't, and it's okay to ask for the help. Um, and also to get creative with how you find those resources. So God bless that we have the internet and Google, and you can find tons of information like don't allow yourself to forget how to actually be uh, a resourceful individual to get the answers to questions that you may that you may have Mm. I could not agree more and that was so well said okay great so I want to dive into your current role and how you kind of navigated your way through through gray and over the last three years so talk to us I mean you kind of mentioned previously how you got the opportunity Talk to us a little bit, a little bit about those early days of Grey, and you know what the culture. Because you came from startups, you came from tech, and then you were thrown into to mm-hmm. you know agency. What was that transition like for you? So at first, it was definitely difficult because mm. it is very different. Um, the agency landscape and just agency world is different. So I was very green, um, but again. I was okay with that because I recognized that it was okay not to have the answers. And more importantly, you know, Gray is filled with some of the most talented creatives and strategists that I've ever met. So it was, it was, um, 
a huge opportunity for me to just learn from other people and to get that experience from others who had been in the agency landscape for longer and at different agencies and across multiple different accounts. So my first six months, in all honesty, was just absorbing as much information as possible about how an agency worked, um, how our sort of relationships worked with our brands and identifying gaps and opportunities to fulfill with new types of thinking and new types of creativity. So that's really um, kind of my focus now inside of the innovation department is identifying areas for new applications of creativity that solve business challenges. So that might take the form of a strategic partnership um, that might take the form of a new execution in a creative campaign. Uh, It might take the form of building a new product or building a new service, but the the crux is always about how do we make sure we are applying creativity in new ways that are solving business challenges for our brands. Mm. I think it's so important, this whole innovation branch that's coming into companies, bigger, older companies now. And it's so cool that you're, you're heading up this division and you're kind of taking the lead on it. Has there been, you know, I'm sure there has been, but I'd love to... Um, I'd love for you to explain potentially a struggle you've had trying to maybe shift an older brand's perspective to to understand the new age tech innovation and and things they need to do to improve and to stay afloat and to stay relevant. Yeah, I mean, brands today, um, they struggle with being nimble, particularly the bigger ones, right? We're not talking about the the startup Mm -hmm. brand, um, but the, the really the incumbents, those blue chip brands, they've been around because they're doing something right. And that's one thing that I like to, when I mentor startups, I remind them that yes, they might move more slowly, but they've been around. They've established themselves. They've created multiple different product lines. They've they've worked with shifting their consumer perception, whatever it may be. So there's a lot that can actually be learned from working with a brand and, and, and seeing that. On the reverse, they have lots to learn from the difference of working truly in an agile environment, um, staying very focused and sort of relentlessly attached to a vision and mission of your one of your one goal. Um, but in general, you know the the brands that we work with are are very open, and we at Gray are amazing partners for our brands. We've had longstanding relationships with them where we uh, act as partners in what we're creating together so we can make recommendations. And what I love being able to do is just share information and knowledge because a lot of times then that becomes the, the brand leader's idea themselves because they're learning more about what's possible. So I take uh, as many people, whether it's internal creatives or um, our clients to events and help them understand um, what is happening in the landscape, sending them reports or white papers, co-creating those white papers with them. But it really is about having open conversation. Um, I love finding out what keeps them up at night. So sit, being having the opportunity to sit down with a brand and say, what is, what is keeping you up at night? What is your pain point? Those challenges are actually where innovation can really thrive because you're utilizing new types of creative mindsets to solve big challenges. Um, but, you know, again, there it's, it's one of those very nebulous terms that everyone defines differently. The, the definition changes all the time based on what it is that you're working on. Um, but 
no matter what, it is always meant to inspire and and sort of leverage new types of creativity. Um, and we're doing that really well and, and hopefully we'll continue to do so with new brands and, and different things that we're working on. But, you know, the reality too is the landscape changes so quickly now because of technology and because everything that used to take six months now takes six days, it's it's hard to keep up. Um, so it's even hard for, for me to keep up. You do as best that you possibly can and start to synthesize as much information as you can um, and sort of impart that wisdom as as best we can. Mm. I love that. And you're, you're so just on it uh-huh. under your personality. So I'm sure you're absolutely killing it there. And it's absolutely, it's so cool to just to hear all of this and actually take it all in. So look, as we come to the close of today's episode, I've got a couple of last questions, which which I love to ask because they often trip up the guests. No, <laughs> but the first one is what has been one of your greatest failures to date? Hmm. Um, so I don't look at anything as a failure because it was a learning experience. So even if it didn't work and, you know, we talked earlier about writing things down and figuring out what felt good and what didn't and, and you know, all of those quote unquote failures were learning opportunities. Um, and I think the minute that you you shift into that mindset of learning from whatever you may have failed on, let's call it, it actually opens you up to wanting to be in a failure state more often because you're learning so much, right? And they, the whole uh, sort of startup mantra of fail fast, succeed faster, I mean, it's really true. Um, and so the minute that we take the fear away from leaning into failure, the easier it becomes to deal with it and then ultimately learn from it. Um, so I don't look at anything as a failure. Um, and, you know, if anything, it would be honestly just... Um, looking at not taking more risks, I think, because I, I, I still am very calculated in a lot of what I do. So I probably could take more risks. But again, even that is not a failure. It's just something to improve and work on. Mm. I love your outlook on that. And that's exactly why we talk about this question on the show so much. We talk a lot about failure because I mean, the way I say it is exactly the same as you. It's it's such a good thing. You know, we fail every day when we make a mistake and we go, oh goodness, how am I going to improve on that? And it just allows us to grow and to evolve. And so I always love reflecting on those quote unquote failures or whatever you want to call them lessons, because I think they really do lead us to where we're actually trying to go, which is to your point earlier about that Instagram post. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, I mean, You've done so much in the last seven years, Alexa. I mean, you know, you've you've gained tremendous recognition for all of your hard work and your diligence. You know, you were most recently considered one of Business Insider's rising stars of Madison Avenue, which is a huge accomplishment and something you should be very proud of. What advice would you give to our peers out there listening who potentially they're feeling like all of their hard work isn't being recognized yet. You know, they haven't gotten that award or or that recognition from the industry or whatever it may be. And they're feeling a little bit like, why, why not me? What advice would you give? I immediately would say, look inside, turn in and worry less about the external world. And we all struggle with it. I still struggle with it because we do. We want that external recognition. But what I have found over time is that 
the minute you turn inward and you become more self-aware and you become more mindful of why you care about those things, um, you, you have a different level of confidence and understanding of who you are. And ultimately, again, a little bit of the trust the universe starts to fall into place where things externally happen when the internal is uh, even kiltered and, and is um, on, on sort of your authentic platform. So that could be, you know, getting training and and looking into how you become more mindful or reading books or whatever it may be. But um, I noticed a shift when I started doing that and living a bit more in gratitude and recognizing that, yes, you may not have an article that mentions you, but if you are making your team happy every single day, if you're learning new things every single day, if you have health of your family and yourself, all of those things are successes and are wins. So it really is about shifting what is the definition of success and why. Um, And, you know, it doesn't matter about like how much money you're going to make because ultimately if that internal side is not where it needs to be, that that external is not going to fall into place. And it won't mean as much either. But when that internal is is there and it's on and you're passionate about what you're doing and you feel fulfilled because of the network that you have and that you're giving back to that community, that is a completely different experience. And all of those other things will come in due time. So well said. So well said. Well, look, Alexa, I I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for all the amazing work you've done and that you're doing. You really are an example to us young leaders out there who are looking to be more, do more, and to really feel, to really find our path. And we know we're all just trying to work it out, but seeing you progress and seeing what you've achieved in such a short period of time, it really does inspire us. And so we really appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. And, you know, I... You, you don't do it alone. Um, so I've had amazing mentors and still have amazing mentors who have led me along my journey. And my hope is to give that exact same um, sort of wisdom and, and um, guidance to the, the generations to come. And I think the more that all of us lean into helping each other, the better and more empowered everyone will be. I could not agree more. Amazing. Okay, so our final question today is how we finish all of our interviews here at The Pierce Project, and that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Without question, the value is being able to wake up and go to bed every single day happy and fulfilled and um really leaning into your authentic self because without doing that, it's an unfulfilling and, you know, unfulfilling process and we get very much in our head. Um, And so finding what you're passionate about, combining what that story looks like and being able to say that you feel like you are waking up and going to bed alive is important. And, you know, Without asking for what it is that you want, you're never going to get it. So I just reiterate once again that that is so crucial because ultimately in the end, you will be more fulfilled when you're asking for what it is that you want. I love it. Alexa, ladies and gentlemen, we so appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time. Where can people learn more about you and your work? 
Absolutely. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, as you mentioned, I do have an Instagram. The handle is FlexyD, F-L-E-X-Y-D. You can find some fitness and some different startup events that I attend on that page. Um, and I really do love mentoring people. So thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm really grateful to be here. Thanks so much, Alexa. We've had a blast. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. Peers.